welcome to Repertory Screenings, episode 52. I'm your host, and with me is my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello. And Destiny. Hello. We've hit a year of movies. That's true, a whole year of movies. A whole year of movies. Oh, it's been, a, oh it's been a while. It's been, oh, some it's reason, been many years. Th- this one feels weird because I, I, we started this one once I'd moved here, so I think this is the one I just started. This has been going for code like two or three years, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I've been living here for a while, and the pandemic's really changed my perception of time. Oh, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, movies. Who's seen some movies? Jackson, I'm calling on you first because I don't know the answer to yours. Um, yes, you do. I have you not seen any movies? I've seen the movie Metropolis. Oh right. Uh, the 1927 film, the 1977 classic movie. I expected to really like it. I ended up thinking it was a load of piss. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> in a way that I was like being kind of snotty about it on uh, on Twitter, and then and was yelling at me like, "What the hell?" But my my takes are kind of reasonable. It's just the boring one of technologically very impressive. Uh, didn't I just didn't know because I didn't know about the history of the movie that it was like politically a disaster and. Is basically a movie about how you know. I understand why both like the Nazis, but also like America more broadly, see this as the like best p- tale of the proletariat through sci-fi metaphor, because uh, it's a you know it's about how uh, revolution will never happen without the like upper classes to truly guide it and form a connection between this. Actually, our uh, differences can be mediated through the hearts. Um, and I was like looking up like a. <laughs> like history about the movie and even um a first is like what do you mean the the head and the hands can be mediated by the heart it's a fucking fairy tale it's stupid not even one of my better movies never never stopped off about it <laughs> so that was very funny um but yeah I, I didn't i didn't know about it and i i uh though it looks very good um and i understand why the effect is so like monumentally uh like influential uh there are better looking german expressionist movies i've seen and uh better movies politically uh, uh that are doing in like operating these spaces and uh i was very disappointed by it but that that that's what i saw i I think i've seen the movie about four three or four times um mm-hmm. it's been a while but like i think it's a uh, wonderful set design wise and like it's long and like i get it i bet if i watched it now i would not be so like like into what it's about but i i would never it's about it's about an evil robot lady and a giant like <laughs> like machine god and a bunch of weird charged stuff that i think is mostly very cool mm-hmm. yeah no i i get it uh i just because i didn't know about its history i was like oh this movie is like an evil thing that like evil people latched onto as a story of progress yes uh, that part absolutely true and i didn't i didn't know that going in and also i had just mm. watched battleship potemkin like the week before the like, days before which is an actual communist movie about the same ideas i have not actually watched battleship potemkin oh it's, uh, it's so good it's so good uh destiny yes movies i've watched a lot of movies um first i want to talk about two movies directed by the late Marlon Riggs, uh, Tongues Untied, and the second film is called Black Is Black Ain't. And I feel like Marlon Riggs is sort of make or he he made the most important works that like not a lot of people have seen. Uh, his films center they they use poetry and dance and documentary to explore blackness 
homosexuality and having HIV. And they're just really urgent in this way that still feels urgent. Like the urgency has lingered. And they're just, I, I was completely moved by them. I love them. Um, so I, I highly recommend those. They're leaving the Criterion channel at the end of this month, which at the time this comes out, when is this coming out? This will come out uh, tomorrow night or Monday night. Okay, so you still have time if you're listening to this, if you have the Criterion channel, to watch Tongues Untied. Because if you're going to watch one, that's the one I recommend. It's about how silence is death, essentially. And then Black is Black Ain't is an exploration of sort of like who defines blackness, what defines blackness. And it was his last film, so it also sort of grapples with having to face your own your own mortality like he's literally in the hospital being interviewed in some of the scenes in this movie it's really rough um but like i said it's it's really urgent really important stuff and then the other two movies i watched or i guess i watched three but two i watched with you so we can talk about those we watched scream three uh, which I had never seen, um, and it's fantastic. Uh, I like yes. That might that might be. There's stuff in two I like more, but two and three are both really strong. I think I like both the sequels more than the first movie, um, but it's really good. Yeah, I like Scream Three because it ties it all together really beautifully. You get the guy from the first movie explaining over videotape. Hey, yes. this is how trilogies work. <laughs> You've got a Jay and Silent Bob cameo. <laughs> baffling that one that might be the thing i like the least about this movie because um it's a movie about a movie set where they're making the the stab three movie um that is based on scream but jay and silent bob are fixed if jason muse and kevin smith were in the movie i would be fine with it but it's jay and silent bob the people to which i ask is this like while they're doing the studio tours before they wreak their revenge in the movie jay and silent bob strike back which i have no answer to but that's what i immediately like it just raised too many questions my brain was like falling apart on this (laughs) you're saying that the movie already has a consistent meta logic and bringing jay and silent bob into it breaks the whole thing wide open in the way the movie will not acknowledge beyond the cameo yes Yes, yes. No, I, I I, don't have any strong feelings about it. I just think it's funny. It's very, very... Uh, what year is this? 2001? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it just feels like that to me. Um, I mean, there is like an absolutely ludicrous Carrie Fisher um, cameo where she plays a character and the joke is it's a character that looks just like Carrie Fisher. And everyone's like, you look just like, yes, I know. I also tried out for Star Wars and didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's ridiculous. fabulous. It's so good. Yeah, um, Scream 3, I think it might be my favorite upon rewatching. I, I just like everything. It's, it's, it's the new nightmare of the Scream franchise, and that is just something that's great. Um, do I want to talk about Malignant, Malignant or Candyman? Yeah, I want you to talk about Candyman, because I, I kind of, we watched Malignant, which is the new James Wan film. Um, it's on HBO. It's If you're a person going to theaters, I'm, maybe you live in a better country than this one. Uh, God bless. Go enjoy the movie. Um, but it's also on HBO. That's how we watched it. Um, I would just recommend watching it. If you have a tolerance for horror, like and gore specifically, because it's, it's a bloody movie, just go see it. Um, I highly recommend it. I liked it a lot. Um, I don't really want to talk too much about the things I liked in it, because I feel like it kind of uh, spoils the fun. 
Okay, yeah. And, and I just, I latch on to everything M says about this movie. I really enjoyed it. It's really, it's something. I think it has the, I, I, I think I like it more, but it has an energy James Wan films have not had since Saw 1. Um, in terms of just like taking you on a ride that's going to go in some directions and you're like maybe not ready for them and playing with genre in a way that's really interesting and fun. Um, loved it. The thing I want to say about James Wan is I absolutely love that he has this retro sensibility for crafting a horror villain. Mm. Like uh, the killer in this, the killer in Insidious, uh, uh, even the Saw, uh, Saw movies, I don't really have an affection for, but I'm going to revisit. I'm going to. I'm going to show you. So I don't understand because I feel like Saw is exactly some shit you'd love. I think it was just the context in which it came out. I was kind of like, I don't I don't really want this, but I will revisit. But like, I love the way he does a villain and it makes me it makes me happy. Um, puts me in the line, the mind of a Freddy Krueger or a Jason Voorhees, especially a Freddy yeah. Krueger. Yeah. Um Oh, Candyman. I am of two minds of Candyman. This Anish- is the new one, specifically. Yes, yeah, yes. The 2021 uh, Nia DaCosta Candyman. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. It. I'm of two minds of it. It has atmosphere for days. It's crammed with themes. But somehow, I didn't find it heavy-handed. I actually really liked the way that it brushed on its themes and examines its themes. I I read a review that said like it was soulless, but I thought it had a lot of like love and sympathy for its characters and I thought it was like well done. Um the thing I'm of another mind about is I don't know how much of certain aspects of black trauma I can stomach on film even in the name of horror. Um, cause this movie is about like literally white brutality upon black bodies and like what that like sort of culminates into in the black mind. And it, I don't know, just sometimes it was hard to watch because of the, the trauma reopening upon itself. And I don't know if that's something that we need to have in horror movies, but at the same time, I'm like, we deserve horror movies, damn it, as a culture. <laughs> so so I, I have sort of mixed feelings about it. But overall, I really liked it and I recommend it and I'm glad I watched it. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, those are the movies I watched. Um, then I watched uh, Female Prisoner 701 Scorpion. Yeah. The 1972 uh, film, um, which... Uh, a fr- I was like, I just want something like f- someone suggests me something that's like close to 90 minutes as you can get. So I was like, this is on Shutter. You should watch it. And I was like, OK, I put I put it on about two minutes. And I was like, oh, I've seen this before because back in the day, Netflix was a great service that had like just hundreds of like movies, especially like older like back catalog like exploitation and like genre cinema no one knew how to package that and sell it and there weren't like there netflix is the only game in town doing streaming so they just all went on netflix you could just watch fucking anything um it was a perfect service it's all gone now uh, all destroyed um but um i'd seen it back then and just kind of forgotten the title um and it's a great film uh highly recommend it uh it's the one that's got the song that's in kill bill that's that's what people would know by um the, that's like, in all the theme. other movies too Yes, the main theme is uh, 
uh i don't remember the name of it but i uh urami bushi is what i always think of it as but it's like the it's like the song as is that the that's not the one where oren dies but it's like in the oren stuff is that song i don't remember exactly where it plays but um famous for that um and that's probably why i originally saw it is because of those kind of connections it's how i saw a lot of classic 70s and 80s cinema um but uh, it's really good. It's about a, a girl whose boy, her boyfriend, like sells her to the yakuza, and then she tries to kill him and goes to jail. And uh, in doing that, she uh, decides to try to break out of prison and fuck them all up, and proceeds to do that. And it's very good. That's it. It's great. Uh, so you need for a movie. movie. Yeah. Um, and then I watched Cry Macho, which is uh, the Clint Eastwood film that came out yesterday, as of this recording. <laughs> Um, which is based on the 1975 novel, um, which is getting like some press on the part where Clint Eastwood's 91 and directing and starring in a movie about, uh, this is where he's a washed up old rodeo star. Like he, he broke his back and then was like an alcoholic and like maybe a pill addict or whatever. And he is, he's past that now, but he's just kind of like a shadow of his former self and his boss, uh, starts with his boss firing him, uh, played by Dwight Yoakam. But then he comes to him and is like, actually, I need you to do this thing for me and I'll, I'll, uh, pay you hire you back it's not really clear what he gets out of it clint eastwood is not concerned with what a plot is at this point uh, in his life he's just trying to make vibes uh, but he's like go to mexico and get my young son who's 13 back from his mother um because i want him here um for both because he wants his son there but also because he and his mom uh who's like a lady in a fancy dress she's like rich in a nebulous way that's unexplained um i'm like is that supposed to be like a drug thing but it's like takes place in the 70s so i don't think so i don't know not explained again Clint Eastwood doesn't give a shit about plot um because they have like some investments together and he's like i'll have leverage if i have my son back so Clint Eastwood goes and finds this kid who's like on the streets doing like cockfighting um and just like a a well-meaning 13 year old who but is like you know on the path to the wrong way of life and he uh takes him and they decide they're gonna head for the border again um and initially his mom's like oh you can you can you can take him i don't want him he's a monster but like once he actually finds him and like leaves town she's like no i want him back and sends like some guys to go retrieve her son um and meanwhile they're having like a bonding experience as he tries claims who desperately tries to teach his kid that there's more important things than machismo um on their road trip and uh He's also like trying to f discover who he is now that he's like not a not the identity he used to have. Um, what does it mean to get like a second chance? Just like a chill, uh, like, you know, dramatic road trip movie. It's very light. It's mostly long scenes of people like talking and like being in places where they can sit and have a think. Um, I think it's pretty good. Like it's it's like it's not going to blow its socks off. It's nobody's favorite movie, but like it's nice and contemplative and like quiet. Um in a way that I, I think you get when you find a director who's like directed 20 plus movies and can just like hang out and do the thing he wants to do. Um, Clint was great in it. Um, even at 91, like, you know, he, he rides a horse and throws a punch and uh, it's great. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad it was good. Yeah. It has, it has like the vibes of like a, like a Christian movie. It is not, uh, but it <laughs> kind of has the vibes like in the setup and it's like a PG 13 film and like, it's just kind of like chill and pleasant in a way that like you don't associate, like you associate with like a certain type of cinema, I guess which is what I would say. It has the vibes of the Christian movie, but it's not, it's a great way to describe late Clint Eastwood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, like like I said, if you're interested, don't go out of your way. But if you're interested at all, like you could do worse. It's, it's a solid time. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, which I guess takes us into our movie this week, which is Unforgiven, uh, directed by Clint Eastwood, uh, written by David Webb Peoples. This came out in 1992. Uh, Jackson, would you like to briefly explain the plot of Unforgiven? Uh, the plot of the movie Unforgiven is that in the town of Big Whiskey, uh, two cowboys are in a brothel and one of them is uh, impugned by a girl who laughs at his dick and cuts her up. And the other guy, in the most cowardly move, kind of helps him out with this. Uh, and... They're, the other girls are obviously furious and want justice to be delivered, uh, but the sheriff uh, settles this with justice of uh, a trade of horses uh, for the lost value to the pimp uh, of having his property's face cut up. So that's the movie you're dealing with from the off. Uh, the girls get together uh, $1,000 and put it up as reward uh for someone to actually take justice into their hands and uh kill these two cowboys uh meanwhile and after this uh the schofield kid rides into a farm uh where will money is tending to the to his land and trying to like raise these hogs and also raise his children uh he is doing bad at both these things uh he is a widower uh, he used to be a famous thief and killer uh but his wife has fixed him and now the wife has passed and he lives in this land uh trying to do his best uh, the scurfield kids arrives and says uh there's a thousand dollar reward uh you're a famous killer let's go get it uh come with me on this journey uh, he eventually he tries to refuse but then eventually uh, recants and decides he needs the money because he's very bad at raising hogs uh and goes and gets his friend ned logan and they ride out together uh all three of them to uh get this reward uh from the town of big whiskey uh big whiskey is uh protected by the sheriff little bill daggett who's the guy who made that terrible deal at the start of the movie uh a lot of stuff happens with him not gonna go into english bob right now uh but eventually they get there uh they manage to avoid the uh the only just managed to avoid being arrested on their on their way to like you know go in and find out about the the, the hit without getting uh, fully arrested uh will gets beat up uh crawls out thinks he's dying he's like um crawling out into the street while it's raining and uh it has to be like nursed back to health eventually they go to um uh kill the first guy ned realizes he can't do, can't do it and uh after will finishes the job rides rides south so they can finish the uh, finish it without him uh um the scurfield kid makes a second kill uh kills him while he's on the toilet uh just shoots him dead and also after this realizes that he can't be a killer uh he thought the money was worth it but he can't do it and he also leaves um at this moment uh will money realizes that uh ned logan has been found uh he did not ride south bill daggett got him uh he he whipped him he interrogated him he killed him and uh as he rides into town uh he sees he has been uh his corpse is displayed in a coffin saying that this is what they do to assassins and as he realizes what happens after being sober the whole movie, Will Money takes a drink and becomes uh, the genre icon and rides into town and kills the sheriff and kills everyone there. Uh, and 
rides out not shut up purely by fear and reputation uh as that is the end the movie is done uh and he goes back to his farm and the epilogue says he leaves his farm and he's rumored to have moved moved to san francisco yeah that's it that's a pretty you know i I feel like i'm often uh there's a lot happening in this movie so you know he did a good job i feel like i'm often pretty stumbly on the summaries but i feel like i nailed that one yeah you got it thank you um so none of us had ever seen this movie before i think that's right Um, it is and uh it's interesting because like i knew like i knew this was a revisionist western but i assume that meant like most revisionist westerns this is about like the old ways of dying uh, yeah the old ways are dying and um the the ways in which like modernity um erased like this this certain thing that like maybe was bad but like we love it anyway instead this is a movie about how the entire conception of the west is a lie told to you by the people who live through it um it was always bad and it was always wrong and the the, the best thing you could do is bury everyone involved deep underground as possible so they could never get out and cause trouble again yes uh i was really surprised by it i was really taken back uh, i really liked it um I think that I was also expecting a far more the old ways of dying type movie in mm-hmm. the way that a lot of uh, modern conceptions of uh, like Western tropes are. And it really ended up having like, like, like you can read it in that way, but only because it's Clint Eastwood, right? Like you mm-hmm. have to go to a metatextual sense of like these actors are older and talking about like what their roles meant uh, as a like work. It is far more about the morality of just murdering people and how none of it makes any sense yes mm-hmm. and how like the difference between you know the sheriff who whips people and kills them and the outlaw that whips people and kills them one of them has like the backing of uh not even a state at this point right because it's still the west right it is a state yes. it is state employed but it is the town like the town decides yes. together uh, it is yes. because it has that isolation Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean yeah. The, the thing here is like it's the it's Clint Eastwood's character uh, Will Mooney and then Gene Hackman who plays Bill Daggett and Daggett is also a ex gunslinger like he he has all the old stories he did all this and then he settled down to become it like he's the he is the good guy in a movie like like High Noon or whatever like he killed he shot all the bad guys and then the town made him sheriff we're gonna get the toughest white hat in in the land to be our sheriff and that means that he's very good at protecting his town but he does it through this very absolutist black and white if if guys the guns come into the town and they don't don't turn over their guns I will kill them and I'm capable of doing that because I'm a tough son of a bitch kind of guy um and that's how he sees the world like that is what security that is what like being the sheriff means to him and other than that he wants to build his shitty fucking rickety cabin in the middle of nowhere to retire on um and that's the only two things he cares about um and the movie is very clear about like the guys who who sling guns are bad people like they 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 see the world through violence and that it that traps them in a worldview that allows for nothing else other than like transactional um exchanges of either violence or like delayed violence through things like the deal where he's like i'm going to give you ponies to make up for the lady's face cut up because you lost property like he cares about cattle rustling more than he cares about the lives of the people he's supposed to protect because they're just prostitutes right they're just sex workers yes um 
he's a bad man <laughs> and uh he and he's he's very good about speechifying how over like he's like ah oh, you know we were just the men who survived and actually the gunslinger times were terrible and he has all these stories about how english bob who was this famous gunslinger that rides into town trying to get the thousand dollars actually was not particularly good at his job not better than anyone else he just was the one who was like most together because everyone else was fucking dr blind drunk all the time like shooting their own foot off um and uh but through that like bill comes in with this this guy uh named ww w. beauchamp who is like a like a european like would-be reporter who wants to write a story about what it was really like gunslingers in the west to, to sell and become famous on and he he basically kicks english bob's ass and then sends him packing and then just like brings on bouchon as his own like he's like i'm gonna tell you the real story but just does the exact same shit it's incredible yeah the 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 introduction of Bouchamp into this movie is like absolutely like unquestionably the masterstroke of what it's actually doing. Uh, yes. And it could go so wrong because you bring in the writer to like explicitly make this meta about how the myths are created, right? Like that is the, his purpose in the plot. It could fall apart. It, the easiest way that a movie like this falls apart. But instead, it, he, the writer sucks. He's the most sniveling coward of the lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's the pants. worst guy in the movie uh of all these like, like murderers and like people like cutting up women and awful like you know drunk and corrupt sheriffs the, the actual most sniveling bastard in this movie is the writer and it's deliberate about that like uh he the bit where he's like what if i hand this gun to him and maybe he murders you is so good this fucking two-faced coward he can't do it it's amazing uh, but yeah, then he just but like also, starts writing for a uh, uh, little little Bill. Yeah, for his, like him falling in league with like the 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 force of authority that is just also like one of these guys. He's just a guy with a gun. That's it. That's all he get. That's why he's in power because he has the gun, knows how to use it, and people believe in that. Yes. Um, and the difference between him and like Mooney. Um, is only in that like Mooney like tried to get away from it, got roped back in, and at the end of the day, like the end of this. It's weird because, like, because it's Clint Eastwood, it is like Clint Eastwood saddles back up, rides into town, and kills the bad guys. But it's portrayed as they they wanted. It's like it's like what John Wick like walks up to but can't ever get to. They wanted mm -hmm. to get a guy who was tough, and what they actually got was like the specter of death, like mythologically, yes. in a man who will just come in and kill because it's the one thing he's good at. Um, and he doesn't care. He doesn't ultimately care who he's doing it for because he's done it for everyone and to everyone for decades. And uh, then he'll write off and it will not trouble him one bit. He will sleep well at night. He will go back to his pigs and his kids. Um, I mean, right. that's the secret. Like he kicked, he kicked the bottle um, and doesn't live with guilt for what he did. Like when he comes in, he's like, I don't do that anymore. But mostly because it's a pain in the ass and he doesn't want to get shot. and He's got kids and pigs to worry about. But uh, he is not morally conflicted about going back out there and killing these two guys, really. Well, he he like slightly right. The, the arc of the movie is you think he is right because he he talks yes. about the murders he done before. He's like, oh, this 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 guy I shot through, and like teeth came out the back of his head. He didn't deserve that. I don't like. I was drunk and I didn't know why I did that. Uh, and the other two like start propping him up. Um, but as the movie like progresses, it's like they're the ones who can't handle it. And when it comes yes. down to it, he can just. He, he could just switch Do it on it. yeah because uh, he, he, he talks he, he talks multiple times about how he has like dreams about the people he's killed like coming back to life like like you know like zombie corpses to come and uh accuse him of his crimes um but he that doesn't stop him from doing more crimes <laughs> no it's it just like he the, the middle of this movie after he gets beat up right him just like thinking it's his time and dealing with the just the uh 
the idea of death, but it's far yes. more like about existentialism than it is moralism to yes. him. It is entirely yeah. about what it means to be a mortal person and not what it means to feel guilty. Well, yeah, his, right, his whole yeah. point, like the, the whole point of him and honestly like the movie is westerns are a is or are a place where people talk a lot about morality but then none of it matters ultimately because it's just about who fires the gun fastest yes. yeah yeah like um, at the very end like <coughs> oh excuse me and you have coffee wrong the only reason he like at the end he gives this big speech about like don't don't put this on the sex workers in the town bury my friend don't come after me or i'll kill you all and it's only the specter of how powerful he is like he killed little bill that keeps people from following him right like if he was if he did not pre like exude this aura of menace then he would he they would just track him down and kill him they could easily do it they'd overpower him there's a bunch of them right it wouldn't be like a surprise like the first time where he, in the bar he literally he he shoots the guy once like the the guy who owns the bar and then he crouches down like they just keep missing because no one knows how to fucking use a gun because everyone has guns but there's a difference between having a gun and knowing how to shoot a man and he just he, he doesn't even move he just crouches down and shoots five people uh yeah so he, he like he takes the first shot uh, he's about to shoot Little Bill and then it misfires right which yes. is when they all start opening but he's able to crouch quickly and get uh, you know, he shoots little Bill, and then no one else has a hope because no one else has actually yes. used their guns. Yes, uh, because whenever they bring in the guys to hold, like you know, little Bill comes up, everyone else holds guns on the guys, but they, he just like diffuses the situation with either beating them up or just with the like specter of the fact that he's got ten guys aiming guns. Uh, yes, they have not had to be in a like firefight like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the story just becomes about like, in actuality, the myth of the like the gunslinger is like six guys who all knew each other and they all fucking sucked and some of them survived and some of them didn't but that was all like luck and happenstance and everyone else is just a pretender buying into like an idea of the legend mm -hmm. but the legend was not only never real but actively harmful to everyone involved uh like the story is the world would be better when guys like him are all dead when they've killed each other and moved on it's good that uh the showfield kid is like i don't need a gun i'm never going to use one anymore and goes and buys some glasses and rides off and has a family like that's like the win <laughs> yes <laughs> definitely um and so like being opposed to the idea of like the old ways where like the old ways sucked like civilization's coming and that comes with like problems like there's a pit at the end where he when he rides out of town at night he's like D you know don't put this on the women and don't come after me he's like f behind him is like the american flag and i guffawed <laughs> that shot's so funny it's literally like the fucking shot in spider-man where that happens yes yes um uh, like we know what comes we could what comes is like a like a different version of a guy with a gun but it's the it's the government is here as like the biggest guy with a gun possible <laughs> Well, even, like, the English Bob stuff exists because he keeps fucking monologuing about the Queen. Yes. Because uh, he's yeah, like, oh, the, the... You, you, wouldn't, you, you know who they don't try to assassinate? The fucking Queen because they respect her. They, they fear the aura of royalty. If Lincoln was a king, he never would have been shot. Who's, who wouldn't want to shoot a president? And, like, he's hilariously wrong about what has happened to royalty yes. in history. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it's also, like, at least in this movie, positioned as, you know, his, his argument is true on some level that the state as it is in this place will become an ideal more than one guy with a gun right that is yes. what it means to have quote-unquote civilization whatever you you know your personal opinion on how evil that is notwithstanding it is a belief in an idea that is bigger than whatever little bill is who is literally just a guy with a gun who is yeah. de facto in charge yeah it's like um, like 
he comes in like arguing that America is, will be will be safer when there's the structures that you know the town is more than just a street and like ten buildings when it when it is linked to other streets when there are police not a sheriff um, yes that'll be a world in which presidents don't get assassinated which is not necessarily true but the argument he's making towards like that's one where the violence will be tamped down because there will be the uh, the structural violence instead um i guess as a worldview if that's how is that what peace is to you i guess that that's true it does sort (laughs) out that way yep um but yeah i was i was really surprised by all of this and i fucking love this movie i was very surprised by it um it's good because uh, I'm not, I, I've seen like, we have an email about this, but I've seen like a good amount of like the spaghetti westerns and a couple of the originous ones, but I've, I've seen like High Noon. I think that's the only classic western I've seen, period. Um, it's just not a, you know, it's like my dad was really into westerns and I just, it didn't, never seemed interesting to me. Um, and so it's like a huge film gap. Uh, yeah, I also haven't seen very many westerns. I've seen like The Searchers and god i think that might be just about it mm. yeah i haven't i haven't seen that many westerns either but i do yeah. the thing i appreciate the most about the the genre uh like with my limited experience is it is one of the few uh like popular and populist american genres that is mm. primarily about empty space yes uh, like even in the action scenes, which are like crowd-pleasing action scenes in you know, other movies as well, not, not just this one, but like the action scenes are about moments of quiet before explosions of violence, um, which is not where action movies have gone in the you know time after westerns. Uh, that is not what John Wick is doing, right? Where even even as the like slightly artier version of action movies, it yeah. is still about extended cool action scenes. Um, mm-hmm. And the Western is about how long you can draw out the moment where someone quietly rides into town. Yes. Um, it's interesting because, like, this movie has, uh, like, a bunch of material that I, I think, like, is interesting in how it's, like, ends up moving past it. But, like, dealing with it. We're like, when, the, when they put out the $1,000 bounty, uh, the sheriff's pissed because it's going to bring bad men to town. Like, his job is to protect the town. He has a very simplistic view of what a sheriff does, and which is n- to dispense, like, the most efficient version of justice and provide the safety for the majority of people the easiest way possible. After that, he can make his car, make his fucking cabin. That's it. That's his, his two things. And um, it's he's mostly mad about that. And then, like, one of the guys comes and apologizes. Like, he brings he brings the horses that he's, like, at, it's, it's like the guy who wasn't really involved. He, like, brings the horses that he would ask for the... the um, um, the sheriff and then he has a horse that he's going to like his like the best horse he has he's going to give to the women um who are not like property owning people in this world right and he's like this one's for you i wanted to apologize like this is fucked up and you know we can uh, hopefully like make make recompense and um they're so bought into the idea like everyone else is so bought into even the woman who's like cut up is like you know i'd be willing like she feels like she'd be willing to accept this but everyone's so bought into the idea that vengeance has to be punitive that they throw rocks at him and drive him off they don't even get the horse if i remember correctly like, no he, he, no, he leaves yeah. with it which is like i mean she would not be allowed to have the horse the horse would just go to the guy the second he left yeah, right? yeah like, he would yeah. take it but she like, doesn't have the ability to own a horse in that way in this everyone's space. everyone's worldview becomes like justice is a, a thing that is bought and paid for and like delivered via violence um even the people who suffer from that violence will still only see the world that way because it's all they know oh well, yeah and mm-hmm. like because 
and it's like presented as like a failure of little bill on some of the right because like the the movie the the part where the movie uh really starts isn't the violence it is when he like little bill decides arbitrarily that the like way to defuse it is through like a property trade yes yeah. uh is at, like the action inciting incident not the act itself no. um because if, if he had you know even if he had whipped them it, it would have gone differently uh these yeah. women wouldn't have had to like the whole point they is were these women willing have... to accept that yeah like right, alice yeah. who's in charge of the uh, all the women was like yeah you whip him it'll be like she wanted him killed but if he would have whipped them she would have accepted that oh definitely yeah uh and so it becomes about like these women have nowhere to turn but the violence right it's not like a yes. failing of them it is a structural no, no, no. like they have no but, access to anything but else also even in that space once they make that choice they're committed to it like they, it's like this is what yes. we have to we've decided on this path and we have to follow this path mm-hmm. there's no alternative which is like when when will mooney takes that shot of whiskey and is like well they killed my friend i'm gonna have to ride in there and kill them all like he is also someone who cannot turn away from that path even though he knows it's like not like it's not the right thing to, it's not going to solve anything it's just what you do like this is what he does if, if they mess with his friend he comes in and he murders them all for doing that it's a yeah. it's it's this is the way it is done uh to people like him even as he recognizes that like this shouldn't be the way it is done and hopefully someday it will not be doesn't stop him from doing it Oh, yeah, I mean, like this whole movie is like dealing with stuff that um, it, this kind of like non uh, moral nihilism, right? Like not amoral, it just uh, it is presenting something amoral and then considering it, right? Like yes, uh, it's just something that ha- also lingers through the genre. Like this is the fucking Kill Bill stuff with uh, Michael Madsen. It's all yes. about this idea, yes. Um, uh, which is my favorite stuff in Kill Bill, <laughs> you know. Yeah, me too. Um, and yeah, he just rides in and just just fucking does it because you do it. Uh, there is no catharsis at the end. He just kills them. And also, I think crucially, like it is not a movie. Uh, it is, you don't read it this way, but it is not actually a movie about a man falling from grace. Uh, yeah, it is not a movie about oh he thought he'd left the old ways behind, but then he he couldn't. They they pulled him back. Like that is technically the plot, but the the really important detail is then he leaves and then he doesn't do it again right he doesn't like return mm-hmm. to this life right. he just he goes, just back, goes home. back to his kids yeah uh and that is what is like important in the context of what this is saying is it's not saying that like oh where you know either you get out or you are doomed to be this kind of man forever it's just saying this is a kind of person that exists and they don't care yes yeah for sure um, and for all that, like, man, this movie's like an easy watch. It's mostly like everyone's really personable. Like, there's a lot of charisma. It's often very funny. Like, man, this, this it's like, man, the fucking movie. Sometimes it just goes down smooth, you know? Yeah, the uh, scenes when they're on their way to w- Big Whiskey, and it's just the, the Scoville kid, Ned Logan, and Will just talking about stuff. That's I, I really enjoyed that. That was probably my favorite Will- part. Will's been farming so much that his horse has gotten unsaddle trained. And so every time he tries to get on it, it just does circles and tries to dump him off. Never stops being good. <laughs> yeah, that gag gives. And we haven't really talked about Ned, but like, you know, uh, it's good. It, it, Ned's Morgan Freeman. And he's just doing his Morgan Freeman thing. And it really, it just works. Uh, he's great in this. I was like the guy who's like way more realistic about this. But then the minute it starts like, you know what? Actually, no, fuck this. I'm too old. I'm going back home to my wife. <laughs> I don't even need the money. I'm out of here. Uh, very good. Love it. Yeah, I um, enjoyed it. 
I really need to talk about Ned. I think he's one of the sure. most fascinating parts of the movie. Sure. Um, because I think, I, and I went, I went back to the original script and checked, and I couldn't find this, but Ned is not written as a black character. No. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. this is like no. obvious as the movie comes in because it gets into very loaded territory about race uh, with yes. what happens to him, but it doesn't yes. play it in the way you would expect from yes. Being and I a kept film ex- about this, yeah. And I kept waiting for something, waiting for an acknowledgement of his blackness, waiting for something sort of tinged with like a racial, just anything, and, and it never happens. That, right. I can see the idea that like through being like a respected gunslinger will wouldn't care and even like bill wouldn't care but the idea like the town once they turn on him wouldn't invoke his blackness as something they can use against him in violence is like unimaginable unrealistic this is is peak 90s like hollywood liberalism right in this way because like oh yeah specifically is about like uh lincoln's not shot like it's in the news people are talking about it so it's post-slavery um but it's also like English Bob is identified as a man who worked with the railroad and shot Chinamen, right? Yes. Like he, like when slavery went out and we like America got rid of all the native Americans, they mass imported Chinese laborers to work on the railroads because you need that labor and you can't pay, uh, you know, good white folks. It's too expensive. So uh, he was just like, he wasn't quite a Pinkerton because they imply that he like did this out of turn. Like he had like this, this rage against like, uh, you know, lesser races. Like it was a racist act for him to do, but he's the guy who rode around and shot Chinese people working on the railroad. Like the racial violence is there, but it, they don't want to talk about the part where slavery is like three minutes old. Um, well, the racial violence is there, but like, because Ned isn't written as a part of it. Yes. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. And yet they cast Morgan Freeman anyway. It's like the scene specifically is uh, like most of the movie. It's just like, I guess they didn't you know want to acknowledge this. Like it gets it's kind of interesting to start because, you know, his wife is native and they have a conversation about racism, like specifically that she's experiencing, but don't yeah. acknowledge the fact that he's black in that scene. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. And I, I kept waiting for it. It never comes up. But the part where it comes up, not in the text, but in the in the directing, is there is a scene where he is whipped. And the, that at that point, the imagery becomes impossible to ignore on set, even if not in the text, because they didn't know at that point. Uh, exactly. And, like, he is, you know, he's whipped and he is killed and his corpse is displayed. The imagery is so loaded. Uh, yeah. But I- never in the ways in which you would expect from the ways in which, like, violence against black people was carried out in this time. Mm. Yeah, the movie doesn't want to deal with that, but it ha- like it does by nature of it being there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which I like don't... there's definitely like versions of this that go the other way, like Tarantino would have fucking like has written this directly into the ground multiple times whenever he yes. mm-hmm. frustrates. Yeah. And I don't know what I would have preferred. Like I grappled with that as I watched this film as a black person. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I want the realistic version or if I just enjoyed, like, the movie fantasy version where it doesn't come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when he was whipped, I was like, well, it's you can't just ignore this. <laughs> and I think that, like, clearly on set, they are, like, the way that scene is shot is, like, deliberately both invoking that and also trying to be very cautious about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is where the violence of the movie is its least, like, uh, leery um, mm. because I mean, like, it, it, the way the violence is, is depicted in that scene changes because suddenly they understand that it is dealing with something different that by making the choice that they have in shooting it this way uh, was not present in the script and what the violence was meant to mean uh, yeah Ned and, dies off screen like yes we don't even see him actually die 
and the way he dies we are told is just like they took the torture too far mm-hmm. um and it's yeah it's i don't have necessarily a conclusion about it but i do think it's like real like really fascinating as a portrayal because of the choice to take like a colorblind approach essentially to and a role that becomes one of the most loaded roles possible when you make that casting choice um, yeah yeah no it's it's, it's there fascinating. it is it is definitely there i wonder what morgan freeman like said like if he had anything to say about that or like if uh, that'd be something worth looking up mm-hmm. um yeah the same thing ends up happening in Shawshank redemption two years later where he's cast as a character that is in the in the original story is like an irish he's called red because he's irish and that's in the original stephen king short story and they keep the line in even though they cast morgan freeman's like why they call you red he's like oh i guess because i'm irish and it turns to a joke instead of just like a line um <laughs> <laughs> Um, but because that's a movie about like prisoners in the forties, it doesn't deal with like, it doesn't even touch on the part where like what, what the prison system is, is categorically different for black people. It like never touched on that shit. Right. No. He's just one of the, like a dozen prisoners that movie's about. It's I guess you're right. It's a very nineties approach to casting. This yes. like <laughs> the nineties would decide that it is a progressive move to cast a black person in this role that even yes. without making the like necessary changes to like ground what it means to make that decision yeah this is what the end of history is about yeah casting decisions like this yes, uh-huh. absolutely, yeah absolutely 100% it's true um yeah i don't know uh this movie's great people should watch it it's fucking incredible it's very entertaining um even if like you don't vibe with like long movies about riding horses through the wilderness it's a good one of those like uh, the thing about the dad classics is often they're very watchable. I was thinking about Apollo 13 a lot watching this movie. <laughs> which, is, which is maybe the most dad classic, but also a movie for me possible. That's a very watchable film. That's well. such a dad classic. Yes. Uh, <laughs> right in with your dad classic movies. I guess you put them in the Discord. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, can, you can send an email with like movies you think of as dad classic. It's weird because like, my dad, these movies are a little late for my dad because my dad was much older. Um, so he'd watch like forties and fifties Westerns typically like the, the real shit and none of this revisionist stuff. And most people who are going to listen to this, their dads would have maybe been like already adults when this movie came out. Like, you know, well, the, the dad classic isn't like a time. Yes. No, I know. I you know, can have a dad like, classic, like, you know, uh, what was that movie that came out the other year? Um, uh, full versus Ferrari instant dad classic. Man, came that's, a two years ago. <laughs> that's a good movie. <laughs> I happen to just like dad classics. Um, but yes, absolutely. The Aviator, Dad Classic, and a, just a great film. So, you know. What are you My do? dad but, likes horror movies. Just throw I, I mean, out there. there is an implied whiteness to Dad Classic that we are mm. not saying. Yeah, uh, but there is. A, to... It's true. It's true. It's a white dad thing. White Dad Classic. Yeah, when we when we say dad, that is like a more loaded term again as we talk about it. In the <laughs> yeah, like, dad Classic doesn't even really apply to my dad. This is not. Right, yeah. I don't, yeah, no, 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 no. Things, but, yeah. Um, it's just a cultural idea. Movies that. um. Yeah. Uh, fucking Hank from King of the Hill would watch. Uh, yep, exactly. You got it. The right stuff. Dad classic. Dad classic. I like that movie. Master and right. Commander. Master Commander is a dad classic, <laughs> but all dad classic is like, I don't know. It's just like that's a movie that everyone I know loves, but nobody's seen. So I don't know. Everyone's seen it, and the, everyone who's everyone who likes that movie loves dad classics. I hundred percent. That's a dad classic. <laughs> I've never 
never seen it. I should watch it. Uh, Dead class. I think you would find it very boring, but it's yeah. Very that's bad. a lot of the like. Even Unforgiven, I was bored in some parts. Like I just think I'm not a dad movie person, but mm. I I still feel like I should see it just to. Do you uh, round out my two film. guys playing the fiddle as they express their uh, brotherly love and connection to the states? Is that not? <laughs> <laughs> it's basically what a uh, Marshall Command is about. <laughs> I love I love to be sad in my service to the state. So I, actually, I it's quite simply love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Do we have anything else, or should we move on to questions? Let's get on to questions, unless anyone else has. I think. Uh, okay. If you would like to send questions, you can send them to abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. They can be about what we're covering. They can be about general movie questions. I love it when it's just general movie questions. So please just feel free to send whatever you want. Um, first one. Uh, it's from Space Drake. Uh, do you use Letterbox at all? How, do you think this has changed your relationship to movies? There's some nice advantages to keeping track of stuff, seeing what your friends are watching. But I, for me, it feels like it turns movie watching to a sort of social competition, like Instagram beach pics, but about your movie taste. Um, that is exactly how I feel about it. Um, we touched on this on the most recent VoIP life, but um, I just recently started up my Letterbox again. Um, I haven't filled in all the back matter because there's a couple years and I was not tracking anything. But like my thing specifically is like, I kind of like to see, I hate, I hate Letterbox reviews. I think Letterbox reviews are a weird culture around people trying to like one up themselves, like with clever threads, but through reviews. Um, and I hate it, but uh, just to see what my friends are watching and what might be like good like they liked or whatever is like great for that remembering the titles of things i watched that's a big i had bad head for remembering the names of things so uh that's like an important part for me to going back to it um being able to track stuff just for like this podcast it's nice to be able to be like oh yeah i watch those things great um but i've gone back and forth i definitely feel trapped by metrics sometimes um but i just try not to think too hard about it uh, yeah, yeah i feel less about that with letterbox and more just about it with film twitter in general yeah. Um, I think that like turning movies into a social competition is something that is just inevitable on some level with like the way that cultures build around things in our society. That is just what consuming is to a lot of people, and you can't avoid it. You just have to navigate it. We all have that within us. Uh, I, I don't mean that like everyone else is using the, is be be on their phone. Uh, that's just something we all have within us in the way uh what it means to be a fan of something, and specifically what it means to like this represents me and this these movies or things that i have watched or consumed represent not just me but an idealized me right like these are the movies that i like and i like to think about as being of me because they mean something um and that is just something that happens when you're like public about uh media you just have to navigate it i, I don't disagree i just don't think it can be avoided and i don't think it's i think it's bigger than letterboxd is i guess what i mean i think you're right i am too in my head about it so i don't use it but i would like to use it because i like the idea of keeping track but yeah i feel like I can only watch important movies. I, I feel like a weird pressure. And I know that's mostly me and just how, like the attitude I have towards social media. So I just, mm -hmm. I if I want to use Letterboxd again, I have to overcome that first. <laughs> I've stopped using Letterboxd and I've started using Tracked, which just does it automatically through Plex. Then I don't have to think about it. Uh, I never have to like file anything. I can just, I just have a record of what I've watched so I know when I've watched things. Um, See, my my thing is, like, more, what I like is when I go to, like, mark, because usually it's, like, oh, it's Saturday morning, let's go mark everything I've watched this week. And then I'll sit down, like, what's what are my friends watching? Oh, someone rated that really high. Maybe I'll move that up in my, like, watch mm -hmm. queue or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm yeah, it has its purpose. I, I, might, I might go back to Letterboxd, but I, I've got a backlog of stuff to fill in if I do. Yeah. 
Do I fill in all the anime that's on there? That's the question. No, yeah. only the movies. You think there's anime on you... there? Oh, oh, movies you should fill in. I, I just meant movies. I forgot the actually have anime on there now. That's I could rate Nichijo. I could rate Nichijo as a movie. Not a on movie. Letterbox. <laughs> Letterbox. Wait, they don't TV have TV on. shows, but they have anime TV shows. So they 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 the what happened? <laughs> what happened was <laughs> in 2017, literally everyone on Letterbox wanted to rate Twin Peaks because it's the best cinema ever i think counting twin peaks as cinema is uh stupid and wrong well no i don't think it's stupid and wrong i think that once you do that which i accept then you have to accept everything and i'm just saying it's the yes. visual form uh and i that is generally my opinion is i think that uh once you know everything is things you're watching on a screen uh it is all one medium uh i think the second you start trying to like dictate it based on what is some uh value of cinema uh rather than like the production of theatrical releases uh it just becomes a cultural battle of what is and isn't important enough to count and that's yeah. where it is with anime right now is like wow. you can rate Nichido, but you can't rate naruto and stuff like that and you know that's uh, weird yeah twin peaks is television y'all sorry <laughs> i mean there is a twin peaks movie you can rate that however you yeah. want yes yeah <laughs> i just i i don't agree with that being like i mean I am fine with it being, you know, if you want to, if you want to count that as movies, that's fine. But then I just think that they're all movies. And I mean, I think you know the what? idea that like television is somehow different than movies yes. and you need a different site is ridiculous. Especially in the in the last twenty five years, where television has increasingly become a, a legitimate place where people work and do acting. Right? Like, it's not like TV is a lesser medium. Like, it's it's just film. Like, the idea is different. If that's the case, then you shouldn't include like two like two real like silent shorts that are 15 minutes long those aren't movies either by the same definition right yeah right. It's all, all the distinctions are arbitrary uh yes. which is why i am so distasteful of uh this thing counts because it is good to me uh, yeah yeah that's silly anyway uh alex writes in what's your favorite western i don't i've seen like four i can't answer this <laughs> i haven't seen very many but i really liked the searchers um, mine is probably the good man, the ugly, which is a very obvious answer, but it fucking rips is the thing. It's just good. I'm genuinely trying to think of what Westerns I've seen that aren't like this and the two Tarantino ones. Like, have I even oh. seen anything else? Django Unchained is probably my favorite Western then. I just realized. Yes. Okay. Django Unchained. Yeah. I've literally, I'm now going to my letterbox and apart from this one, which I haven't added, I've literally only seen this, uh, the two tarantino ones and it also has in here uh fucking wild wild west cowboys and aliens and blazing saddles which don't yeah. count but uh, blazing saddles is a western sure it is blazing it's Sa a comedy western it counts wild more than wild wild west is wild kind west. of a western eh, look i think i think there's space for a lot of different definitions of western i agree i think it would be fine to count that in a world where i had seen anything oh, yes, made no, before for you if you said my favorite western is wild wild west i would laugh you out of the room uh, <laughs> so i guess wild by, west counts as a western by sure. default at this point it's probably unforgiven but it, you know um i do i like unforgiven more than the tarantino ones probably i don't know um i haven't i haven't Man, decided we gotta get some westerns and folks yeah, I just it's just a genre I've never cared about and like when I have what bit experiencing to like things you know, I played Red Dead without seeing the movies, right? And I just fucking hate that game, so I have no interest to go watch the better movie that's stealing from. Uh movies are good though, is the thing. Yeah, I need to go I mean, watch um good. the um Now and No Name stuff, because, you know. Yeah. I like <laughs> I like the uh Japanese movies and these are the same, so I would probably like these too. Yep. Um uh, yeah, uh, good and bad, ugly for me. But I, you know, I've seen seen more westerns than these two put yes, together. These two fucking chumps. Yeah, yeah, big gap. Um, 
Nora writes in, what's your favorite design for an alien in a movie? I have to think about it. And I was thinking about it all episode and I still don't really have an answer. I like, uh, I like the alien alien. <laughs> uh, the second question, if you answered Xenomorph, what's second place? The bit in Transformers 3 where Megatron wears a cape. That's not... I guess that's an alien. It's totally an alien. Fuck you! I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. it. The Um, arrival aliens were cool. They're like looming. Yeah. Yes. Those are cool. Floaty aliens. Yeah. um, Gosh. I like the little guy who sits in the robot in Men in Black. Little tiny guy. He's pretty good. Oh, yeah. I like him too. Little coffee guys also. They're great. I don't know what they're called. You know what I mean? Men in Black. Mm-hmm. I like the Galaxy like Quest aliens. All, it has good designs. Yeah. What'd you say, Destiny? I said I like the Galaxy Quest aliens. Oh, I- the weird squid people. Yeah. Yep. I like how they talk. Yes. Um, would you rather find yourself in Tremors or the Birds? Tremors. No contest. Oh, the Birds is so scary. <laughs> I don't think I'd rather be in Tremors because Birds are that scary. I mean, there's no way it goes well in either of these. This is a bit of a... <laughs> Tremor seems pretty easy, honestly, as long as you don't live in the American Southwest, uh, where there's nothing but desert. Tremor seems navigable very easily. Well, yeah. birds, birds seems are pretty everywhere. navigable if you're not in the village where the birds are. So I don't think this situation... <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I've seen both movies, and I feel like the way they handle the Tremors makes is like seems more approachable than the birds, so... I mean, the birds are just like a supernatural force. Like, they seem normal, but there's so many of them. That's the thing. Yeah, there's a lot of birds. Uh, And then final question. What director do you have have the best shot at defeating in Mortal Kombat? (laughs) (laughs) Um, With a C. With a C. With a C. Yes, with a C. Darren Aronofsky. Fuck that guy right up. (laughs) It's not which one do you want to most defeat. It's which one do you have the best shot at defeating. I think will to defeat is part of capacity <laughs> defeat. And, <laughs> uh, I, I, we won't do this. He'll be like, I mean, uh, yes, if it's best shot, then like, I'm going to go for Eastwood. He's 91. Like he threw a punch. Right. Yeah. yeah. Same. I'm going to tackle the 91 year old guy. <laughs> God, imagine Mortal Kombat with Clint Eastwood 91. You lose. That's got to be, you got to watch that. That's funny. <laughs> um, do you have an answer, Jackson, or can I move on? Uh, um, I mean, any, you know, I'll, I'll fight George Lucas, I guess. Yeah. I think I could fuck up Wes Anderson. Absolutely. I, I bet Wes Anderson gets scrappy. <laughs> 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 I bet Wes Anderson's like, let's fucking go. Uh, <laughs> I know you wouldn't think right, of it. James Wright saying, is there a good movie to be made about leftist infighting? We're talking about uh, Life of Brian. Would it have to be a comedy? Or is leftist infighting too much of a canard for the idea to work? Uh, yeah, it's called could... the Battle of Algiers. That's true. I think you could make a movie about leftist infighting. That's a comedy that also pulls it off. I, th- I think that's doable. I believe in that. I think that's doable. Also, um, I, I'd have to revisit it. But there's a. L- I think I remember there being a smidgen of this in um, Hail Caesar. So, and that's a good movie. That is a good movie. Com- comedy does not really originate from that stuff very much, but there's mm-hmm. some shit. Um. 
Clover writes in, uh, Tarantino said something across the lines of he doesn't like using film scores because he doesn't trust, comp either he doesn't trust composer, he doesn't want to ask them to rewrite a composition. Um, think this is cowardly. Is it too harsh? Uh, and how important is for film to have the means to do so to create unique scores and songs? The thing, the thing that, the thing I want desperately is for composers to be allowed to make things that don't sound like the, the other six movies that composers done in the last five years. That's what I liked so much about Candyman. That score? Woo! Because one, there's not enough composers getting work. And also, everyone's asked to sound like the temp music from the last movie, which just sounds like the temp music from that movie, which sounds like Lord of the Rings, but like run through a shit like com like compressor to make it sound awful and generic. Yeah, um, we got to get away from the generic epic uh, movie score. Yeah, the real issue is like the production pipelines of how movies are scored now is really bad for how composers can create things that are interesting yes. obviously there are many composers making many like good work but there's also a lot of composers that do lots of good work that are unable to do so because of the production environment yes um and part of this is how do you feel about films repurposing existing music it that has turned me on to watching movies like you know i originally saw a female prisoner of scorpion because of that um there's like that's true of a lot of like i got into the morricone stuff because of kill bill uh like explicitly um wouldn't have been on my radar otherwise so like that, that stuff works for i think that works so you you can't like do that forever tarantino's just a guy who has no original ideas that's like his gimmick like you know, yeah. don't expect it from him uh it's yes. just what he does well i understand watching like a couple tarantino movies being like is there too much like is there too many needle drops in cinema but it's really just him because <laughs> uh, i i generally like it when people do it um you know, not all the time, but it is something I'm often happy to see. Oh. Uh, Gary writes in, uh, what genre of film does just generally doesn't appeal to you very much or you don't expect to like them, even if there's like you can appreciate the craft and quality, which I will obviously say is crime movies at this point for me. I say that basically every week. Um, hmm. What's mine? I like a little bit of everything. I'm trying to like, there's a certain type of movie that I don't really like, which I struggle with like political thrillers. <laughs> My but, other one is biopics. I hate biopics. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm not very interested in biopics at all. Um, oh, see, I like, like I'll enjoy. I'll find, there's plenty of them I like. It's not like I'm a, a, a totally averse to them. I just, if you ask me, oh, you want to watch a biopic or anything else? I'm like, no, I don't want a biopic. I can read a book. <laughs> I guess Weston's on my answer by how little I've seen. Like I'm just not interested. But then I watch this one. I'm like, this one's pretty good. Maybe I, you know, I can watch some westerns. Um, yeah, I need to watch more westerns. Every time I think I don't like westerns, I watch one and I'm like, I like what? What am I talking about? It just—they've come to represent something so specific culturally that, like, maybe is not particularly true of most of the ones people actually talk about, um, mm -hmm. which is the problem. Well, I, think. I know the Westerns entirely as a oh, um, society has changed and civilization's coming, and the outdoors were like the cool guys before, and this like fake idea of of like it's also every mafia freedom. film, right? Yeah, freedom being yeah. taken away, but then. The people whose freedom being taken away in the movies are not the people who were genocided, right? They are the people who yeah. were doing the genocide, just yes. slightly less, <laughs> with less of a state, I guess. Uh, so that's what I know of as the, like the Western uh, stuff in the modern conception that I don't watch for. 
But then this has nothing to do with that. Like, this movie wasn't about that at all. So I should just go back and watch some more westerns, I guess. Yep. <laughs> um, Catherine had an email about the ending of the movie. I think we covered it about him taking the swig and going murdering some fools. So I think we'll just call that answered. Uh, Aiden writes in um, <laughs> about Clint Eastwood still making a movie uh, at 91. Um He's such a large body of work as a director, I don't feel the need to seek all his films, even with bangers like Unforgiven. Are there any directors you think of in terms of general appreciation, but still have not watched a bunch of their directed films? Um, and then asked if anyone plans to check out Cry Macho, which I already did. So, um, I mean, like, I guess Clint Eastwood is a good answer, because I, I mean, I was saying about this when I was watching the movie, but the most inspirational thing about Clint Eastwood is his entire directorial career is inspired by not wanting to stay work late. Uh, he was. We worked on movies, and these directors took too fucking long to shoot the goddamn scenes. And he decided he was going to shoot the scenes himself, and he was going to do one take. And then he did. And then people like his movies regardless. Uh, I think that is a very inspirational thing to do as a director. Uh, yeah. Fuck a Fincher type. You need more than one take. You get the I actors; they know the lines; they do it. I've also about Kurosawa, where I've seen like a couple of the big ones, like both samurai and like modern ones, and I just just don't like they're nice, but I don't I don't feel the need to go and watch a bunch of those. I'm mm-hmm. fine. Good. I'm fine. Uh, Destiny, so... do you have any answers? Ooh, I don't everyone like all the big directors, I feel like I'm I'm like, I'm going to watch these movies. So I can't think of like one where I'm like, oh, I don't need to watch this. Like I wanna see as much as possible. Uh, and then we have final questions from Tron Uh, who's your favorite character in this movie Ned Jackson um I think it's the girl who uh, oh. comes up to him. He's like the one who gets her face cut and is like dealing with this really interesting situation where like she's kind of underplayed in the movie, but the movie's still aware of like everyone, including the other girls, including this man, including the sheriff, is acting on her behalf without really talking to her. Yes. Um, Delilah. And, uh, yeah, Delilah. And the ways in which she um, like tries to connect with and uh, the various people uh, and she doesn't really come to a conclusion like like she watches uh the way the, the one of the parallels in the movie that i found really interesting was like she watches um them throwing away the uh like the rocks at the guy in a similar way that she watches uh will leave at the end of the movie like these are just mm-hmm. like things happening and like uh otherworldly things occurring technically on her behalf but she feels very removed from um and i'm glad like i don't think she's like centered in the movie in the way that you would want especially from like a more modern version of the story uh but i think they gave her like really good consideration at least mm-hmm. I, agree. I think mine would be a bill daggett i think he's just like he's so good he, he is he is both like charismatic in this role as like this this shitty little man who sucks with like one little bit of power and you're just ready to see him get got like it's so satisfying um, <laughs> the scene where he like the extended scene where he's got the pistol and he's like all right shoot me and if you shoot me you can just leave uh and then he gives it to uh english bub and like he refused to take it and the reveal that the gun was loaded the whole time ah uh, this yeah. fucking dick bag because yeah. <laughs> um, in that scene he's monologuing about how the thing you do is get a cool if you keep a cool head you can prevail but he is clearly getting off on the power of this thing in, in like a yes. way that completely goes against yes. every word he said 
yeah no he just sucks sometimes you just like a guy who sucks the most <laughs> he does um, <laughs> he got the sometimes oscar sometimes you've got some goddamn actors to make some shit bags very charismatic yes um, I think we answered most of our season. The one question here is, what do you think about uh, Wilmoney at the end of the movie? I specifically want to talk about the 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 epilogue in which it's like the his his dead wife's mom comes to like the gravesite and they're gone and there's only rumors that they went to San Francisco and prosper. He prospered in dry goods, but never did find out why his why her daughter fell for this horrible man and what that was all about. In the end, which I think is like, I think it's interesting in that like. This event, this like one week where he went to Big Whiskey and fucked up the entire town and his friend died, means nothing ultimately to his life. Like he's just going to go back and get his kids and go do something else because pig farming was not working out. Yes. And the idea that like at the start of the movie, the question is like with the first one, first like scrolling uh, exposition is why? What did what did this wife see in this like brigand? Uh, and uh, what a horrible like why would why would she marry such a horrible man and there's no answer at the end um, yeah no because uh, ultimately he's still just that guy like yep. sometimes you just fall for the bad guys I don't know he's tall it is, what it is. he is tall <laughs> he seems like my he has a sensitivity this, to him my favorite thing about this is like Clint Eastwood's like 60 in this movie like it was you know he's been old forever <laughs> <laughs> yep um it's great love it uh all right that's it for questions again abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com send them about whatever you want next time we are watching waiting to exhale the forest whitaker movie um which uh will be a deviation from our dad movie slate thank god time to move out go time something for else. mama movies <laughs> yes um so that'll be that'll be fun i'm actually really looking forward to this seems great um so uh, check that out wherever fine movies are acquired. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Plug time, Destiny. At FridgeBuzzNow on Twitter.com. And my other podcast, Badland Girls, can be found at abnormalmapping.com slash Badland Girls. And we're about to do um, an entire, like, we're going to do an entire month of podcasts. Every weekend we'll release an episode because it is spooky Halloween season. So look out for uh, that. Jackson. Uh, you can find me at headfallsoff on twitter.com. Uh, find the podcast that me and I do at abnormalmapping.com. A whole bunch of podcasts there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at em underscore being. You can support all our podcasts at patreon.com slash normalmapping. For $5 a month, you get Blockbusters, where once a month we put out an episode about usually like a big movie that like we just sit with and talk about the themes and the writing and what it's trying to say. We recently put out an episode on zero dark 30. That I think it's like a genuinely very good episode of what blockbusters is about. Where we just get in the weeds about post nine 11 America and what it means to have a state and have act like, you know, not state police in the sense that like CIA or agents of the state. Um, and uh, I think it's really good. So that movie's bad, but you should listen to the episode support us, throw us five bucks. It's a good episode. We're worth it. I promise. <laughs> Please. Help what us are out. we doing next? What did we decide to work on next? Oh, Rain Man. That's going to be wild. You've never oh, seen it, so. fuck. Right. We're doing Rain Man. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, I want to get as far away from doing the thing where we talk about states as possible. I don't want to talk about state finance. I don't want to talk about police. I don't want to talk about any of our normal stuff that we're always going on about. Where should we go that's still like hilarious and, like, and ridiculous? Let's watch Rain Man. <laughs> and I was like, you fucking nailed it in one. Bow. Yeah. <laughs> Headshot. Thank you. Yeah. 
Uh, so look forward to that. Uh, that's everything. Until next time, movies, now more than ever. Don't expect to like them.